Hey, how you doing? Brian Kane with the Mental Performance Mastery Podcast. And man, am I excited for today. My guest is a mental performance mastery coach with one of the best organizations in sports. He's currently working with the Tampa Bay Rays, who participated in the most recent World Series, came a little bit short, but before training the World Series contending franchise, he was a decorated player at the University of Iowa. He was later drafted by the Miami Marlins in the 2015 Major League Baseball Draft. He's someone whose career I followed closely because I had the privilege of working with him as a student athlete at the University of Iowa. I am beyond thrilled and jacked to bring Chris Goodman onto the Mental Performance Mastery Podcast. Goody, how are you, man? I'm doing well, especially after that introduction. Easily the best one I've ever got. You definitely uh, make me sound a lot better than I probably am. So Uh, I appreciate that. Always, always modest, Goody, from what I remember for you, you know, but man, I'm so excited that, that you're getting to pursue mental performance mastery now as a coach in professional baseball and just so excited for you to share your story with our listeners. Um, you know, could you first kind of dive into like, how did you develop a love for baseball and kind of get this passion going for the game? Oh, wow. That goes way, way back. Um, Definitely, probably like so many other baseball players and athletes. My dad was really instrumental in my passion for baseball and and sports in general, just competing. And, um, you know, fortunately, my dad was a former professional baseball player. Um, He played minor league baseball with the Twins and the Reds. And so I grew up uh, just always around the game, Uh, like miniature bats or were everywhere. So I was grabbing those, swinging them, uh, throwing a ball all the time. And definitely so many pictures of uh, like way too big of hats on my head. And uh, so just always around the game and and talking the game with my dad. And um, I remember my parents will tell, tell the story, but I don't really remember this that much because like uh, I don't really have a lot of uh, memories of T-ball, but I guess I just showed up for my first t-ball and a t-ball game or practice. And I didn't enjoy it because no, the ball wasn't moving. I didn't want to hit it on the tee. So I wanted real baseball of what I saw on TV. And uh, so it just continued to grow from there. And I I was fortunate to have parents, uh, particularly my dad, who could just teach the game for me and, and talk all the time about it. You know, and obviously you, you must have been really good as a, as a baseball player growing up as an amateur because that led you to play at the University of Iowa in a Power Five conference. And, and you know, Chris, where, where was it where, like, you first started to kind of embrace the mental performance side of, of baseball? Well, it was, it was at Iowa, and we talked about this before we started recording, how this is, like, full circle for, for us in that um, I was – introduced to the mental side in high school um, as I saw an E60 and, and I, you showed this one when you were at Iowa too and I, was, I love watching it with Evan Longoria, Ken Revisa and uh, that was I was a junior in high school and I first saw that uh, and I it kind of hooked me and I wanted to learn more. I wanted to one learn more for my own career as a baseball player but then I was like I think this is what I want to do when I'm done playing baseball. At the time I was like I'll, I'll play baseball till I'm 40 years old. Uh, my favorite player is Derek Jeter. Like that's, it'll all work out like that. Obviously um, it's a lot harder than, than that. Um, and, but when finally at Iowa, it was my sophomore year when you came and that's when I really started to put things into practice. 
and not just reading about it, but like how to apply it and how to prepare not only physically, uh, but mentally. You know, you talk about it was at Iowa in that sophomore year where you kind of made the bridge, right? The shift from reading about it uh, or watching videos on YouTube about it to like actually practicing it and putting it into practice. Could you unpack that for us a little bit, Goody, about on, on, you know, what does it mean to put into practice mental performance? Like, what were you doing? Yeah. Well, I think in the beginning, right, like their ideas and whether they're theories or, or just thoughts is like, okay, now can we bring it into like, yes, legitimate practice on the field. But one thing that I loved, and we talked about it, I don't know if you remember these uh, certain aspects of like our one-on-one conversations at Iowa, but it would, it would be things of, okay, writing down an actual plan. And like in, from routines of like, this is what I'm going to do when I wake up. Um, I'm going to post this right by my door of these are the intentions that I'm going to have today. And this is what I'm going to absolutely dominate today. And like, I think that's the start of your individual process. And then it goes from, uh, from that of um, how I'm going to go about the day to what am I going to eat and how am I going to fuel my body and no, we're not nutritionists and dietitians, but I com- kind of combining what the knowledge that uh, at Iowa and all those other big schools, you have those things. Now it's like, okay, what are you actually going to put in your body? Then um, I had routines of with visualization and relaxation, different those techniques before I went to bed or right before practice, right before games. So really... I read about these things. We talked about these things, but it's another thing of, of to be in the dugout and I'm, I'm locking in on the pitcher. What are his tendencies? And I'm starting to breathe. I'm figuring out when my at bat is actually starting. It doesn't just start when I get to the batter's box. Like my at bat started when I was like in the hole and I'm in the dugout and just starting to lock in. You talked about man. So- <laughs> So much goodness coming out there in terms of an AM routine, writing down a plan for the day, what my individual process is, talking about how I'm going to fuel my body, right? And going from like, and, and I see this a lot within the field of nutrition is people will come in and say, well, here's how you should eat. But they don't like cross that gap and say, well, let's go do it, right? Or they say like mm-hmm. sports psychology, people come in and go, oh, here's how you th- should think. But they don't help you to go do it. Or you get the strength conditioning coach that says, hey, let me write up this great plan for you. But there's a big difference as a coach in terms of, hey, I can write a plan or I can get an athlete to do the plan. You know, I can, right. get, I can work with the athlete to close the different gaps within that link that chain to get them to actually go do the plan. So you talked about, you would, you would do visualization, right? Everyone knows you visualize, you see it, right? But you were doing visualization. Let's unpack that. How would you do visualization? You mentioned the night well, before, but also in the dugout, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, well, one thing that really helped me was, and I still have this on my, uh, my iPod. I don't even know what generation it is, but I still have it. It's, it does have a touch screen, uh, but you made an audio clip for me and I would listen to that before I went to bed. Um, not only was it the, um, like the mental imagery of hitting, but it was your five, four, three, two, one body scan. And honestly, I still do that today. Um, if I am having a hard time falling asleep, I can do that, that body scan. I'm out. 
And it's just little things like that. I'm going in a little different direction. I'll come back to the visualization in a little bit here. Um, But it's little things like that that I learned um, when it was more like baseball specific, but I can do it now in my everyday life. Um, But those audio clips, I'm just, I'm seeing myself fastball, middle away, barreled through the four hole. Like, and that might be the exact verbiage that you use. Like, I can remember these things. It, they helped, like, it brought it to life. Um, so it was, of course, before, you know, the night before, there it is. And, and you know, honestly, I think this is important is in the very beginning, it didn't just happen right away where I could see it all. Like, it took time. And um, I was fortunate that I've done some of the visualization in the past, but even before we started to work together, but it, it just continued to grow and helped me out. Um, and I think some of that comes with mental maturation as well. But um, then in the dugout, because I could, I was practicing the night before it was, I'm just drawing on that and it doesn't have to be super long. Now it's just like, I can reconnect back with, okay, fastball away, barrel up the middle, breaking ball, um, back up the middle. And, you know, I'm, I'm going through and like, what does the pitcher have? Like those particular tendencies. Now I'm trying to see those pitches that I believe that I'm going to get at some point in the at bat and tailoring it also to, to my plan. You know, like if I'm going to sit, um, fastball in or middle in now I'm, I'm, I'm visualizing that. And now it's, I'm not going up there and guessing that's where I'm starting to anticipate. So I think it started to blend the, uh, the, st- the like strategy side, like that mental side of baseball with the, uh, the mental training. I love that you just mentioned the two sides of, of the mental game of baseball, dude. I'm, I'm, I'm so I'm so excited for this man is you're talking about, there's the, there's the mental side of the game, which is strategy my plan. What pitch am I looking for? What are the tendencies that the pitcher is going to throw? Like the analytical data to give you the best chance for success about knowing what's coming and having a plan, I would call like the strategic mental part of the game. But the other part of the mental game, which I believe is is where you do most of your work and what Ken Revisa was doing is like the self-management part, right? It's like Todd Whitting um, is the baseball coach at Houston. He was an assistant at TCU. TCU was the second college baseball team I ever worked with back in 2006. I go in to work with TCU and he comes up to me and says, hey, man, you're here to work with our pitchers and our head coach. Like, I got our position, guys. We're good. Like, totally not into it, right? Yeah. You know, I'm like, okay, I kind of expect that a little bit from coaches in baseball and when they went back in 06, especially. And then, and then as we develop a relationship and he sees, okay, this isn't, this isn't like laying my guys down on the couch and tell me about your feelings, psychology. This is like performance routines, visualization, playing with confidence when you don't have it, big body language, being aggressive, like giving yourself the best chance for success. When does an at-bat start having a process, all the stuff that you're talking about. Fast forward four years, we go to the College World Series for the first time in 2010. He gets the job as the head baseball coach as, as, at his alma mater, University of Houston. He calls me and goes, Kaner, I want you to come speak to my team the first day on the job. He goes, I want you to talk to the team before I do. That's how into the mental game I am. And I was like, whoa, full circle. Big flip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? I'm like, Where, how did you make that flip? Where'd that come from? And he goes, look. There's three aspects of baseball. This ties back to what you were saying. There's three Mm -hmm. aspects of baseball that we do from a development standpoint. There's mechanics, how I swing. 
There's plan and approach, what I'm trying to do. And then there's mental game. Am I in control of myself? And he goes, and when I first started coaching, it was always mechanics first, plan and approach second. And he goes, and I would never get to mental game. He goes, now I flip it. And he goes, if the mental mental game's got to be the first thing we coach because I need guys to be able to be in control of themselves. I need them to get comfortable being uncomfortable. I need them to have routines and be able to slow themselves down so they can slow the game down. He goes, then we'll go into plan and approach. What are you trying to do? You know, so that they have a game plan for what they're trying to do. And then if that's not working, but they're in control of themselves and they have a clear plan and they can execute on it, then we might go into mechanics. And he goes, but that's the flip that he's had. So I think those two aspects of the mental game, Goody, that you're talking about is there's a plan and approach, and then there's the self-control piece. In your work with the Rays, how much of your time goes into like sports psychology, self-control, mindset, you know, kind of personal growth and development versus like plan and approach development? Are you doing both of those? Uh, my, my role is really on the side of just like that self-regulation, uh, that piece right there. But I definitely, like, we want to talk with the coaches and like, and because now they are on that, of course, that side of strategy and you, you marry them together. Mm-hmm. I think that's when you really start to, uh, to grow in, in that development. And be, I guess at the end of the day, right? Like the, the mechanics, if you get to professional baseball, you, you have some good mechanics. There's no way that you're like you're trash at mechanics. Right. right. But there's some, obviously there's tweaks and there's adjustments that are made on that. Um, and that oh, obviously those are going to help in repeating certain pitches and um, certain planes of, of a swing. Uh, but definitely I see that as like the biggest piece of allowing guys to play at their full potential is, okay, what's my mindset? Like, can I be in control of myself so that now I can work that plan? So yes, my job is pretty much purely the side of uh, self-regulation and and decision-making, but it definitely is going to go into the, the strategy side and that's just those conversations with players, yes, uh, but also coaches. I love, I love the answer about it's both, right? What are you mm-hmm. working on? You're working on both. You're working with athletes. You're working with the coaching staff because you have to blend all those things. You blend the mental, you blend the plan and approach, and you blend the mechanics. Because as Ken Revisa would always say, he'd say, a lot of times a mechanical breakdown, and if you're in baseball, you think about like a pitcher whose front side's flying open and everything's kind of maybe up in the zone or, or it's to the arm side. He'd say, a lot of times a breakdown in the mental game somebody getting out of control mentally, physically, emotionally, getting out of control because they want it so bad and they're trying to throw so hard. Now all of a mm-hmm. sudden the mechanics tweak a little bit. It's not because their mechanics aren't good. It's that they get out of control. And he's like, he would say all the time, he'd say a lot of times mental game challenges will manifest or will show up in someone's mechanics. Have you found that to be true as mm-hmm. well? Yeah, I can say that from personal experience and, uh, and things I've seen as well. I think, you know, I've had awesome opportunities to coach, whether it was in the off season of during my career with youth sports, youth baseball, and then also during when I was getting my master's degree at uh, Minnesota State Mankato uh, with college players. And at some point, we kind of all run into that. Um, And I think you start to see where guys are, they can, they know what they need to do on the mechanic side. And then now it's a lot like getting to the right mindset that allows them to do it. And, you know, youth sports 
are are fun to watch because there are deficits on on both sides of that, and they're trying to learn so much um, and just trying to like piece it piece it together and, and chunk some things down. You know, one of the go back to one of the things you talked about when we were talking about visualization was when does an at bat start? Mm-hmm. And would you kind of take us through what you teach? whether you did it yourself or what you're teaching to the raise players about the whole process of when an at bat starts and walk us through that. Yeah. I'm a big believer in, I, I, I definitely have my own biases and I think it's important to, to kind of uncover those. And we, we all have them. Um, for me, like I know that my at bat started either in the hole or, you know, one place in the hole, double hole, if we want to call it that. Um, but I like to get an idea of when the player thinks they're at bat starts. Mm. And then, you know, if a player says that, oh, my at bat starts when I walk to the plate. Okay. Then start asking questions to dissect, like, uh, but what about before? Like, what are you doing on deck? Okay. Does that mean that you're at bat starting on deck? And they might be like, yeah, yeah, you're right. Cause I am looking at, I'm trying to get on time with them. And it's like, okay, yeah, you're right. So now you got on time on deck. Was there anything that you did in the dugout? Like, are you looking at tendency charts? Uh, you're like, yeah, you're right. I, I, I did. And I was like, so does it start on deck or does it start in the hole? And you're like, you're right. Uh, maybe it does start in the hole. And so, and then you can even go a little further of like, okay, the tendency, but did you watch film? You know, okay, so maybe the at-bat truly starts even before then, but, um, you know, maybe that's when you start visualizing and you remember it back to that guy's release point. So maybe it's the double hole. And But ultimately trying to get guys to figure out when does their personal at-bat start. Um, and then I think what's also important is, like, when does it end? Yeah, dig into that too. You stole the next yeah. one right out of my brain. Keep coming. <laughs> right, yeah. So, okay, it, it ends. And I think um, one thing that I've done that I did personally, and I, and I again, I bring a lot of um, ideas at least of what I did in my career is, and I believe I got this from working with you, is, okay, the bat ends when I take my batting gloves off. And whether it was a great at bat, I hit a bomb, or I punched out three straight pitches and it felt like I punched out in one pitch type of thing. And I'm, I'm frustrated. <laughs> and so, you know, obviously you only have a certain amount of time. You have three outs before you have to go back into the field. And so sometimes it requires us to go and do it quicker. And hopefully, you know, the goal is to do it as quick as possible for us to be able to, to shut it down and, and go out to the field. Um, but that like autonomy right there, of I get to decide when it ends by when I take my batting gloves off. I think that makes a huge difference for players. And I know it certainly did for myself, um, but okay. Frustrated. Or even if I got a, I got a knock and everything like that, when I come into the dugout, I have this period of time. If the gloves are on, I can think about it. I can reflect on it. Uh, the second the gloves come off. Okay. I'm shifted to, to the next thing. And I think just that, actual physical movement of the gloves helps helps me and, and can help players on the mental move to the next thing. You know, what I'm hearing you say here, Goody, is when you take when you take the batting gloves off, there's a physical trigger or an association that says when the gloves are off, uh, the at bat's over. 
did you also work it the other way that when you were getting ready in your, in your at bat routine on the other end, other end of the hourglass, if you know what I'm talking, coming in, playing, yep. come out, yep. is did you put the batting gloves on? And that was when my at bat started. And then I would go through my visualization and tendency charts and all the things that you just talked about Were the batting gloves, like the trigger to say it starts and it's over. Perfect. Yeah. I think, and I'm glad you brought that up is yeah, that's again, like we want these physical triggers to help us start to get into that, the mindset that we want. So yeah, you put the gloves on now it's on, which I think goes to, we've all, I've I've been there and I'm sure a lot of people have been there where you get lost in a dugout conversation and you're like, Oh shoot, like I'm up, I'm on deck. And now you're rushing to put your batting gloves on. And it's like, now there's also, we have those, um, those skills to slow it down if you, if that ever does happen, but if you're rushing right there and you miss all of those preparation pieces, how can you expect to have a great at bat? Mm-hmm. We, we want to do those things and we should do them if we want to be at an elite level. And I think that's again, part of like that maturation that players have to go through is know when it starts, know when to put the gloves on and know when to take them off. I love it. I love it. And, and, and Goody, I want to kind of dig a little bit deeper, maybe into some of the work that you and another guy who I look at as a, as a, a um, master of the mental game and someone who's one at the forefront of mental performance and Justin Sua, who's working with the, with the Rays as well. And what, what a team they got, man. Good God. <laughs> yeah. You know, with the two of you guys there and I'm sure a couple others maybe working with it with on, on some of the, the um, you know, uh, Latin side of things with, with professional baseball and the Spanish speaking. Do you speak Spanish? Um, I'm working my way there. I speak some baseball Spanish. Um, some of it's probably not appropriate to, to use. <laughs> so, but I'm, I'm working my way there. Yeah. It's, and it's all the young kids listening to this, right? If you're still in high school and you're listening to this and you, you think, man, someday I want to work in pro baseball. Like you probably think you want to play, but the odds are never in your favor. But if you want to work in pro baseball, man, if I had to rewind it and do it all over again, I would beg to go back and take junior high, high school, college Spanish. You know, hundred percent, right? Like if you're working, if you want a job in professional baseball, you have to, you know, have to, but you're a lot more marketable if you can speak Spanish, you know, for sure. So I would, I, I always want to pass that advice when I can to young people who I think have an interest after listening to you talk about the mental game and the passion and, and how much fun it is. Right. I mean, what is it that you love about mental performance? Goody, that of all the things you could be doing in the world, you're doing this. Oh, wow. That's, that's a great question. I, Man, well, one, the thing is, is like just being around sports. And of course, I could probably enjoy doing the mental side of it for any sport, but obviously baseball is a, is a sweet spot. And I just love being in that competition uh, realm. And like, yeah, I don't get to go and, and hit anymore or, or pitch and, and field and all those things, but to be involved in a player's career to help them get to where they want, like that is bottom line, the best thing in the relationships that you build. Um, there's a lot, obviously the, probably what I've heard is like the biggest thing that the athletes miss when they move on from the sport is that relatedness, that camaraderie and getting to be in a dugout again. Mm-hmm. And, uh, just being like, just getting involved in the game. Like, is there anything better? I, sometimes it's kind of like a pinch yourself moment of like, wow, this is my job. I get to do this. Yeah. It's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's every day, man. I mean, every day you're blessed. It's like, 
I don't have to go to work. I want to go to work. And it's not even work. It's like, am I working or playing here? So I remember we were talking about it before uh, we started recording is I was able to go down to IMG Academy for an internship. And I remember on the weekends, um, and I'm, you know, beautiful Bradenton, Florida, go to a beach 15 minutes away. So I do that on the weekends. And I guess I could have done it every time I, you know, during the week when you get done with work, but I could not wait to go to work on Monday, Monday through Friday. I get to teach mental skills all day. Did put me there. I want it. Yeah. And that's, and I, I found, I found what we were looking at. It's called the master in the art of living. It's by a guy named James mm-hmm. Mishner. And the first time I saw this, I was like, whoa, I got I, I, I don't know if you've seen this. It's tremendous. Here it is. It says the master in the art of living makes little distinction between his work and his play, his labor and his leisure, his mind and his body, his information and his recreation, his love and his religion. He hardly knows which is which. He simply pursues his vision of excellence at whatever he does, leaving others to decide whether he is working or he is playing. To him, he's always doing both. And I think that I, I know when I read that, I'm like, that's, that's chills, man. That's, that's chills. me in mental performance, man. It's like, it, it's, it's, it ain't work. You know what I'm saying? Like it's no. play, man. It's what we want to do. It's what I, it's, it's, it's what I, it's what I want to do when I wake up. It's what I want to do when I'm going to bed. It's what I want to study. And, and having an opportunity to sit down with you as a guy who was a player going through it. And now here you are doing it at the highest level in professional baseball. It's like, it's like, chills to me, man, that here we are. And here's a guy who's gone through it, who's now doing it. And, and Goody, I think if, if we can maybe look at the Rays, right. And there's a team that's made deep postseason runs, made it to the world series. Um, one of the top organizations in all professional sports, you know, what are some of the mental performance techniques that are popular among players in the franchise that you feel like these are the ones that kind of everybody is doing. And this is, these are the, these are the techniques that are helping our players. Yeah, a good question. And, you know, when it comes to the guys in the, in the big leagues, um, I can't I can't speak too much on it. I, I didn't work with those guys. Um, and this year is actually very interesting, right, with the pandemic. We didn't have a minor league season. Um, and so in this being my first season, uh, it's hard to say what those guys do. But what I what I think is a common theme for all professional baseball players is that their intentions are, are very, at least like the high level guys, their intentions are very clear. They know what they are going to do. And I think that spills into their routines. Um, you know, whether it's, you want to call it intentions or the routines, their goals, they know what they're going to do. And yes, they get distracted at times, but it, they bring it back really, really fast. And they can realize where, when they're kind of getting pulled or they have these barriers. And yes, they're very talented um, physically, but I think they're so talented mentally to be disciplined that this is what they want to do and this is how they're going to do it. Love that. What, um, you know, if, if you, let's say, let's say you could go back and, you know, catch Chris Goodman when he was playing little league baseball, or you can go and all of a sudden you're going to speak to a group of let's call it, you know, 10 to 15 year old baseball players. And you can remove the skull cap and you can plant the seed in there from your experience of what you know. Now you wish you knew back then. And they would take it and it would germinate in their brain and they would use it. What would that Mm. success be that you would give them? Ooh, 
Well, one that's one of my favorite questions. I love that you worded it, uh, but what do you know now that you wish you knew then? The old uh, million dollar question. question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Oh man, and there's so there's so many things, but I think, ooh, I think part of it would be the fact that there's no guarantee, and I think that's important to realize and understanding how much of like chance comes into a career. And I think, you know, obviously if you can plant seeds, like also on the side of that, that shouldn't be a, um, like a negative type of thing. Like we want to give ourselves the best chance. And like, so find your routine, like your mental routine for preparation and stick with it. Yes. You'll make adjustments along the way. You'll be able to find little things that you want to add or subtract but find what it is that allows you to be um, in the right mindset to compete and keep it going. I think that was one thing that sophomore year, 2013, when I first started doing these things, I would say that's when I felt the most in tune with mental and physical. And it's hard to keep that up because there's so many things going on. Um, but it is, it's, that's what you have to do. Like if you want to get somewhere, you could probably get there without doing it. But again, it comes down to change, like what is going to give you the best chance. And um, this goes into, we want to be professional baseball players or kids want to be professional baseball players. But like, do you want to just be able to say that you are in this organization or that organization, or do you want to stay at the big league level? And I think like you go through different phases um, and it's one thing to make it, it's another thing to stay. And I think the people who can have their, if you want to call it process or their routines and they know what it is and they're going to do it unwavering discipline, consistent. Mm, love that. that was a lot. I don't know if that, if I can plant that big of a seed, Yeah, it's but, a uh, <laughs> large seed. No, but what you said, but you're, what you're saying is have, have a process have a routine and stick to it. You know, mm-hmm. know what you need. It's like the at-bat approach, right? Everyone's going to have a little bit different way in which they get ready for an at-bat. And I think as a, as a mental performance coach, we try to teach a system and a structure because most people don't have one. But then when they identify what theirs is, they stick to it. And there might be components of people's routines, a breath, a physical trigger of when they're cleaning the box to say, okay, it's my box. I'm taking possession of this. But each guy is going to take it and use it their own, you know. Um, Goody, talk about breathing. What, what what role does breathing play in the mental game of baseball from your perspective? I think it's fundamental. Uh, like being able to understand the breath and how much it does for us. Um, you know, we all come into this world and it's like the first thing we do. We breathe, then we cry. Uh, you know, at least, you know, hopefully we, yeah, we yeah, do yeah. that, but eventually, uh, we're going to breathe if we're here at this point and like the physiological things that it can do for for us and the psychological things, it's like, it, it's probably one of the biggest things that ever, like, it's a common theme again for so many players and it can help, you know, we talk about like slowing the game down and I was I've heard that for so long. Uh, I remember as a high school player, like, Hey, slow the game down. Then it was like, okay, how, how, amen. Like, like, please, like, I know, right. I can almost say like, 
I know what a coach is about to say. I made an error. I punched out and I'm coming back to the dugout. I'm like, Hey, slow the game down. No, I know. Slow the game down. But like, how, how do I do it? And like the breath right there is, is it, and it only takes, it doesn't take that long. I think sometimes we get into the idea of like, Oh, I don't have, I don't have time. I don't have time. Well, like the, if our thoughts are going super fast, our breathing patterns are super, are probably super erratic. And so if we want to slow the thoughts down and then be in control of our body, like slow down the breath. Um, but then we also know that we can, if we need to amp it up, we can also use the breath. And I think that's where like it can do so many things for us. And that's why it's one of the biggest fundamental pieces of just competing, being able to be in control of the breath. You mentioned the breath can slow us down and the breath can amp us up. Would you, would you dig into that a little bit for us and kind of both uses of the breath in terms of we using it as a way to self-regulate and calm down, but also kind of self-regulate and get yourself going and get yourself jacked up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think the greatest thing about it is, and you know, you could do this at home of like kind of taking your pulse, whether you're on your wrist or on the neck of like when you breathe in starts your, you can kind of feel your pulse. If you do it enough, like start to like speed up the beats kind of go a little bit quicker. And then when you like, um, elongate that exhale, like you can feel it start to like slow down. And so we can be the fact that we can be in control of like our heart and really our heart sends more signals to our brain than our brain is sending to our heart, which is, um, which is wild. Um, and we do a lot of things within heart math, um, the inner balance tool, uh, if you wanted to check that out, but that right there can tell us that, okay, when we start to figure out what type of energy guy we are, um, an energy player, okay, where do I need to be? Do I need to take some quicker breaths to get the heart going? And now it's sending signals body wise uh, physiologically that, okay, like I'm in this space where I need, where I want to be a little bit more, uh, have a little bit more juice going. Okay. I can do that. Hmm. And then we can also start to, to regulate in those areas to get to where our optimal like energy level is. You, you mentioned heart math. Yeah. And I've heard a couple, a couple different mental performance coaches reference that. I, I, I do not know anything about it. Could you educate me and our listeners on what, what is heart math and how do you all use that? Yeah. So the little device, um, there's multiple devices of what is called like the M wave. And uh, one, I, I try to do it personally for myself every day where I can clip it onto my earlobe mm -hmm. uh, and then the little sensor, they have an app on the iPhone and I can look like real time of my heartbeat, my heart rate variability. Uh, and HRV is a great predictor of like how resilient we are. Um, and health wise, it, it has some great uh, predictors and, and benefits to be able to, um, to have a great heart rate variability. And that can vary on age uh, as well. But okay, so we want to be able to it's a great way to practice our, our breathing. Hmm. And so if I go on there, I can get into a cadence. If I want to do, um, you know, 10 seconds of a breath, I'm following this cadence. And also I'm connecting what they would call the, um, the heart and mind 
can embody connection where uh, now I'm trying to get into coherence and, and coherence just meaning that you're getting into a state where you are calm and poised. Um, but also at this, it's a, it's different than being relaxed. Like you're engaged and alert, but also calm and poised. Hmm. And so I can focus in on like the heart region as I'm breathing and connect to a lot of the times the uh, a feeling of appreciation, joy, gratitude. And that shows up very differently on the um, like the heart rate variability as you're watching it. Um, it the beats, the beats per uh, per minute and in between uh, those beats is, is that heart HRV. Um, but when we look at the what we feel when we're uh, maybe you know frustrated, and or we're angry, those beats and what that uh, that timeline looks like is much different than when we're experiencing the joy and the appreciation and gratitude. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's it's very there's a lot to unpack in it. And I'm still learning. I wouldn't say I'm a complete expert on it uh, just yet, but it's definitely a great way to understand the breath and to practice it. I'm in kind of in like a, a gamified way. Interesting. Yeah. I think the more, the more I love it, man, I love the term gamify, right? The more we can t- make things a game and get people to compete. And that's why one of the, one of the tools that I use a lot with the athletes I work with is an app called way of life. It's a success checklist where essentially you customize mm. and say, okay, here, here are the routines and habits I want to create. For example, I want to call success hotline every day. I want to make my bed. I want to run three days a week. I want to lift five days a week. I want to meditate every day. And I make my checklist. And every morning as part of my routine, after I hit my morning journal, I'll go ahead and I'll fill out that way of life checklist. And what that does for me is it basically gamifies doing the things I want to do. I have a scoreboard at the end of the day. I have a scoreboard at the end of the week. I can look back in the app, my analytics, and look back at the last month of the last year and say, okay, 82% of the days I call success hotline. Let's get better. You know, 81% of the days I'm making my bed in the morning. You know, mm-hmm. I meditate, I've meditated 35 days in a row. Let's not break the streak. Like it gives me analytics around the behaviors that I want to create, which to go back and use the term that you've said are going to give me the best chance for success because they are my process. Right. And I think mm-hmm. everyone says, trust the process. Well, that first implies that you have a process, right? <laughs> That's a great point. Right. right? And a lot of people don't have one. Like they're like, Hey, they're like if I say, Hey, slow the game down, that implies I know how to slow the game down. And that was kind of my entry point into the mental game of baseball was you never failed in high school. Like most division one players, high school was easy. I get to college and now I'm struggling. Like I can't get anybody out as a pitcher and I've never had that happen before. And my pitching coach is like, Hey man, you got to learn how to relax. And I'm sitting there on the inside, like, no shit. <laughs> right. Wow. Right. You're going to teach me that? <laughs> yeah. My way to relax was like, I would go run because then you get that kind of euphoric feeling mm. after a run. Well, dude, I was waking up and running for like an hour to 90 minutes every morning before school. I was running more than people on our cross country team because that was like, oh, this is going to be how I relax during the day. I didn't know idea that you could take <laughs> right. a breath, you know, and then, and then I wonder why my fastball went from 88 to 82. Cause I was training like slow twitch muscle fibers. I'm running right. like a cross country runner, you know, <laughs> Maybe that set me up for my Ironman career here, but, there you but go. <laughs> that, that was my, I had the same experience where it's like, slow the game down. You got to relax. Well, wow. 
And I think mm -hmm. that's the message I want our listeners to take out of this is that what Chris Goodman is talking about, what I cover in our 30-day athletes program, what I cover in our NPM certification, what the top mental performance coaches in baseball like Chris and like Justin Sua and like Doug Chadwick, who we are going to have on here from the Colorado Rockies and Zach Brandon with the, the, the Diamondbacks and Zach Sorensen with the Braves is – the, what you guys are doing is tangible skill development that then gives players tools and something to go to when they get into yellow lights or red lights or the pressure's on. And, you know, Chris, in, in closing, is there any other tools that you feel like were monumental for you in your career as a player or now in your work in the field of mental performance that we haven't talked about that you want to kind of bring up and share? Hmm. I can't. Um, well, we talked. We talked about right visualization, uh, the breathing aspect. Those were two huge pieces that I routinely use together. Um, I also had. We all talk to our, ourselves. If you're probably an outlier, if you don't talk to yourself, uh, that's. I just don't. Everyone does at some point. Like I, I think you can think of thoughts as talking to ourselves, especially when we're very intentional. Yeah, and like that was be, something like I, me I sitting here saying, I don't talk to myself. What is he talking about? That's me talking to myself. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So that, um, I use that a lot and, and so many, it, it's different for every single player. There are of course some commonalities, um, but every player uses them differently and, uh, or uses one more than the other, I, I think. But, you know, we all routinely talk to ourselves, um, we're all breathing. Can we breathe better? Yes. Um, and I would say, I can't, I don't, I don't believe everyone visualizes. And I, I, I do think that there are points and times when people like can't. So like, but if you daydream, like you are like visualizing mm -hmm. to a, to a certain extent now, again, like get really intentional about it. Awesome. We're here with Chris Goodman mental performance coach, Tampa Bay Rays, World Series competitor, Tampa Bay Rays, former University of Iowa Hawkeye, Chris Goodman, for people who want more goody, right? And they want to follow you on Instagram or on Twitter, or they're interested in having you maybe speak to their team or come speak at a clinic. What's the best way for people to follow what you're putting out there and maybe get in contact with you? Yeah, well, um, I'm, I'm probably more active on Twitter when it comes to all this, the social media, um, and that's Chris Goodman underscore, and that's uh, K-R-I-S uh, and Goodman underscore. And then uh, Instagram is Chris underscore Goodman underscore. Um, and so, you know, I'm very open to, to direct messages. Um, I'm fortunate that people want to reach out. And so I, I always love being able to, to give back in any way. So any uh, direct message, you'll definitely hear back from me. Awesome. So make sure I got it right. I got Twitter, Chris Goodman, K-R-I-S-G-O-O-D-M-A-N underscore. And then Instagram is Chris, K-R-I-S underscore Goodman, G-O-O-D-M-A-N underscore. That's it right there. So, and soon, soon they'll be able to find you probably at underscore Chris underscore Goodman underscore dot com. Right. So they'll be able to, because <laughs> I'm sure that there's a couple of Chris Goodman dot coms out there, but they'll be, able, they'll be able to get you in there. Maybe, to, you know, they'll be able to find you. And when your website is done, uh, I know that's something that, that uh, you will get to, we'll have that on the social media and people can engage with you there and, and follow along as well. So Chris, man, 
so excited for you and this journey into mental performance. You know, I'm really, really glad that we got a chance to reconnect and I'm happy for all of your success. And, uh, man, just excited for what you're going to do in the, in the mental game and how you're going to change the game as I know you will. So thanks for being with us here on the podcast, my friend. Oh, thank you, Kaner. Uh, like I said, full circle right here. And I think my cheeks kind of hurt because uh, it's just been really fun talking with you, smiling a lot. Thanks for listening to the Brian Kane Mental Performance Podcast on the Ironclad Content Network. If you liked the show, be sure to leave us a rating and a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Brian Kane Peak. I'll see you next time.